All right. Hopefully you guys can hear me all right. Um, this is Tristan with You Dig. I'm here to talk to you guys about some stuff. Uh, I usually don't really have a, you know, a purpose for this show. I just talk about things, uh, and I try to make them interesting, uh, and hopefully some, you know, some laughs will, uh, will squeak out of you. We, you, you know, it's supposed to be kind of funny here and there. Um, one sec, I gotta take my jacket off. There we go. All right, yeah, the, uh, the food guys before me, they're awesome. They, uh, they take a little while to clean up, though, sometimes, because they usually have, like, a table out and a bunch of food that they're eating and, and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, they took a little while to get out of here, which is why I'm not starting until 8.08. Uh, oh, well, looks like we'll just go until 9.08 then. There's nobody after me, so I can do whatever I want. Um, okay, cool. So, let's see. I have, like, a couple things written down here to talk about tonight. Uh, the first thing being snow. So, like, we hadn't really gotten a lot of snow in lacrosse until last night. Uh, like, I think once or twice it had kind of, like, sprinkled some snow, but nothing stuck. It was still largely fall outside. Um, but now it's fall with, like, a decent amount of winter, you know, mixed in there. Because it snowed last night, and it snowed a lot, and it pretty much all stuck which suck. Um, so let's, let's see. I think we got, I think we got like three or four inches. Uh, I mean, all the grass was completely covered. Still is. The sidewalks were, you know, kind of whack this morning before they got them salted and everything. Um, so yeah, I'd say three inches, probably. Um, but yeah, winter is something that for those of us that are native to the, you know, upper Midwest, you know, it's something that we deal with a lot. And I mean, a lot of people in America deal with snow a lot, but a lot of people in America also don't deal with snow a lot. And that is, um, I don't know, I mean, kind of depends on your opinion on snow, but in my opinion, snow is kind of cool. It's cool to do some stuff in the snow. You know, snowball fights are classic, uh, Snowboarding is awesome, and skiing, uh, cross-country, alpine, doesn't matter. Um, and then, like, I don't know, I feel like snow just really adds to the whole, uh, you know, wintry vibe, the whole Christmas vibe. I mean, Christmas and winter aren't the same thing, but, like, for me at least, I think of, you know, cozying up in some warm place with, like, some hot cocoa while it's snowing outside, and then somewhere in the mix there, there's some Christmas lights. Just because, I, I mean, there's got to be, right? Maybe a fire going in the fireplace, in the hearth. Maybe a tree set up somewhere, maybe with lights on it. Maybe not. Maybe a candelabra somewhere in that cozy room. Um, Kwanzaa. Anyways, uh, snow is cool. Some people... I feel like most people in America have have seen it, at least. Um, but for those of you that haven't, it's white. Can be fluffy, can be packy. Um, you know, you can do cool stuff in it, but I feel like generally snow means cold weather. And I feel like in general, cold weather just kind of sucks. You know, you can't go outside and do the stuff that you can in the summer with the freedom that you that you can do it with 
in any other season, you know. Um, the other problem with winter, at least in like the upper Midwest here, is it's not just like two months, you know. It's like it's like almost half the year sometimes. I mean, you could kind of consider November getting to the wintry times here. I mean, it's starting to snow. It's starting to stick. In general, it's really cold. You have to bundle up pretty much every time you go outside. And then December, usually a decent amount of snow. I mean, we've had years, of course, where you don't get a lot of snow. But temperature-wise, it's pretty cold up here for a pretty decent amount of time of the year. You know, you got like November's pretty cold. December's really cold. January just sucks. February is even worse. March, it's getting a little warmer, but it's still cold and snowy. You know, you can't just go do summer stuff. April, I feel like largely is cold. You know, it, hopefully you're not getting a lot of snow in April, but it's going to be pretty chilly still, and you're not going to be able to do summer stuff. May is kind of when you, you know, the summer stuff starts coming out, and that gives you from May until, you know, maybe October. And that that's what, four months? Five months tops? That isn't like basically winter cold so we have winter or what most states would consider winter for like close to six months i'd say which um like i said has its ups and downs snowboarding season is nice and long here shivering season is equally long anyways uh what i wanted to talk about as far as snow goes other than what i've said already uh is like how how dangerous it is. Nobody realizes how dangerous, like, cold weather is. I mean, like, I feel like, in general, you know, parents with kids who are new drivers are always, or at least should be, good parents, you know, are extra precautious and, like, warn their kids, you know, like, be careful on the icy roads. I think you need, you're supposed to have practice, at least in Minnesota, I think, um, driving in like the snow and stuff before you can even get your license just because it's so different you know like that feeling of driving on ice where you don't have like any traction and the brakes just do nothing and the steering just does nothing is a pretty wild feeling I mean I mean it's a rush that's the other thing that's the other thing about winter and snow and ice though is drifting controlled safe environment drifting it is a lot of fun I feel for the people in, you know, more southern states that don't get to experience that, but I'm sure they do their own drifting on, I don't know, God knows what. Um, let's see here. The thing, here's some stats for you. The thing with snow is it kills people, um, along with its good friend ice. Let's see. I wrote down some stuff here. Okay. So every year in... Oh, there's no way this can be the United States. Every year there are 170,000 road accidents due to ice and snow. So like as a direct result of slipping and sliding on the road, 170,000 accidents take place every year in automobiles, right? Here's the thing. Close to 4,000 of those are fatal, which gives you a 0.03% mortality rate. Now, if you remember... From like the first couple weeks of this show, for those of you that have listened to all of them, um, where was I? Oh yeah, I was talking about like some of the most dangerous jobs 
and I think what were they? I think the number one was like was like commercial fishing, you know, like the crab fishermen on like that one show, Deadliest Catch, I think it's called. Um, and then uh, trash collectors were up there. Um, what was the other one? The top three were, I feel like trash collectors, fishermen, and oh lumberjacks, I think was one of them. Like a uh, somebody who like works a lot with cutting down trees and like mills and stuff super dangerous miners also was one of them anyways um just snow just icy roads has a similar mortality rate as like some of the most dangerous jobs on average in the world so that's kind of shocking but here here i've got more you just wait if you isolate those stats to just the upper midwest of the united states it's bumped up to a 0.08 percent fatality rate which is now far beyond any of the most dangerous jobs. So if you pan that out, I found this stat somewhere, and then I did a little bit of calculation myself, trying to kind of verify it, and it's pretty close. Um, Statistically, owning a car in either Minnesota or Wisconsin, um, I think probably Iowa too, you know, other upper Midwest states, but Minnesota and Wisconsin had the highest, like, accident rates as a result of snow and ice. Statistically, owning a car in either Minnesota or Wisconsin during the winter is more likely to kill you than falling 28 feet straight down. That's pretty wild. You don't even have to drive the car. Just (laughs) statistically owning one during the winter in the upper Midwest is more dangerous just given the stat of like people who own cars to people who drive cars like a certain distance per day, it, it comes out to still just anybody who owns a car is is at more risk of dying from sliding on some ice and dying, you know, um, coming into a collision with another vehicle or something on the road or off the road, and then, you know, dying, then falling, Almost 30 feet straight down. Three-story building. Jumping right off. You have a better chance than owning a car in Minnesota. Yeah. Let's go. Upper Midwest. Represent. Dying in icy car accidents. Um, But yeah, so that's kind of terrifying. At the same time, though, of course, you know, that's statistics. If you're careful, you'll probably be fine. Unless you're hit by somebody else who isn't, isn't careful, which is kind of the danger of the roads. Um, but still, I mean, 0. 0.0... What was it, 7 or 8? 0.08% is like a pretty low number. But it's still almost... You know, it's almost 1 in 100. Oh, wait, no, 08. It's almost 1 in 1,000. Which is... I mean, a, a lot, obviously. But... Like, I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to say, drive careful. Um, But also, don't just, like, get super scared after listening to this and then just stay in your house all the time because you're afraid of dying in a car. You own a car. So, like, yeah, just don't be afraid of dying because you own a car in the winter in Wisconsin or Minnesota. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of what I got for winter and snow. It's cool stuff. Kind of dangerous. Kind of sucks in some ways, kind of cool in some others, 
personally, I'd like it to just be, I don't know, 65 degrees, partly cloudy, all the time, with thunderstorms, like, every three or four days, maybe. That would be my ideal weather. Not too hot, not too cold. You can go outside and you can do stuff without being freezing. You also won't get, like, too hot, being active. It's also not, you know, no sun. But, okay, whatever. I digress. Uh, winter's kind of cool, and in some ways it's kind of not. What else we got here? Oh, this is kind of more about winters and stuff. So I have some questions, then, for you guys. Preferences, so to speak. I just kind of want to get a feel for what people prefer in the winter. So the big one is warm beverages, right? You got your hot cocoa. You got your cider. You got your hot coffee, you know, maybe mocha or something. Or just coffee. I mean, yeah, that's great too. So like I feel like I feel like most people are gonna say hot cocoa is the move for the winter. But as, if you had to associate a drink with a season, would it be cider, hot chocolate, or coffee? Or you know, there's probably some that I'm not thinking of. So um yeah, call and uh tell me what your preference is. One second. Uh the number is six oh eight. 785-8080. Sorry, it's kind of a lame question. Um, you know, not like super interesting or anything. I just really like taking callers. It's a lot of fun. I like talking to people. Um, and then, yeah, I'll have more stuff though. So while we're just kind of waiting for anybody to give their opinion on hot cocoa cider or coffee or whatever else they like to drink during the winter, I'll ask another question. Uh, when you go out, during the winter, do you wear, like, a big jacket in, like, snow pants? You know, like, deck yourself out with, like, snow gear? Or do you just throw on some layers? You know, like, t-shirt, long sleeve, sweatshirt, maybe a light coat over that and go. Or, you know, like a like a long sleeve, a flannel, a sweatshirt and go. You know, you guys know what I mean. It's not that hard. Um, yeah, so layers or big jacket. I'm a big layer guy myself. I, I, I don't know why. I just really dislike the feeling of having like a really big poofy jacket to deal with. Because as soon as you're inside, you take it off. You know, I mean, at least I do. I'd like overheat so fast inside wearing like a winter coat. So for me, I'd just rather wear a bunch of layers. And then when I get inside, just like take the outer layer off. And I'm pretty much fine. I feel like it's hard for me to overheat indoors wearing a bunch of layers. I mean, like, depends on how many layers. But, you know... Let's just say it's a pretty cold day. I'm wearing a t-shirt, a long sleeve, and a sweatshirt over that. Like, I'll get warm, but I think if I kind of, you know, roll my sleeves up, sit back, you know, in a chair, uh, I feel like in general, I will uh, not, I feel like I won't overheat as much as I would if I had, like, a huge winter coat on. I don't know. Somebody call and tell me your thoughts on that. Because I legitimately want to know. Alright, what else we got here? We got, uh, oh, okay. So, I had a friend up from the Twin Cities this past weekend. Um, and it was a lot of fun. We did a lot of stuff. And one of the things we did was we went to see a movie, right? We went to see Joker. Very good movie. I'm, I'm sure everybody has heard all kinds of stuff about it. I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, but it's very good. 
the actor Joaquin Phoenix is very talented, uh, very, very, like, real superb performance um, by him. Um, the film had me, like, cringing in my seat a lot. Just, like, the situations that were happening, they make you uncomfortable. And they, for me at least, like, I wanted to look away and just not be in that, like, anxiety-inducing situation. But, like, at the same time, it's just good and you like you you keep watching of course you know you're not gonna you're not gonna pussy out and stop watching a movie i mean it's a comic book movie for god's sake come on um it's really good though i recommend anyways where i'm getting with this story is um it is pretty violent and it is just generally dark dark violent um, and deals with a lot of like mental illness kind of type topics revolving around the main character, the, you know, Joker. Um, kind of as he becomes, it, it's, an, it's an origin story, right? It's a different take on the comic book supervillain, the Joker. And because of all that, I personally would say it is not a movie that children should be watching it's rated r i mean like some rated r movies i mean okay i feel like most rated r movies kids probably shouldn't be watching but let's say the parents just don't care about language i feel like language is a big part of like most r-rated movies you know like most r-rated comedies will have just a lot of bad language maybe like one overly violent scene or something and then like you know maybe some sex scenes thrown in I feel like for the most part, a kid isn't going to know a sex scene when you see it. They're not going to care. Um, a, you know, swearing and stuff could be a bad influence. Some parents don't care about that. You know, a lot of parents realize their kids are intelligent enough to realize the stuff going on in the movie is fake. Um, so even, like, some violence and stuff is fine, which is why there's, of course, so much violence in, like, I mean, in the media in general, you know, PG movies, PG-13, and there's violence everywhere. I digress. Joker should not be watched by children. I don't know what age gives a child a right to see the movie Joker, but, like, you definitely have to be somewhat mature of mind to, like, first of all, understand the depth of the movie, and second, to not be, like, kind of messed up by it, I feel like. And the point of the story is, as we got walked into the theater, sat down in our seats, we were like kind of mid, mid-section. We weren't really up in the back, we weren't really in the front. Um, I see a big group of people walk in and sit down in the first two rows. And of that group of people, there were probably like six kids. I'm talking like between the ages of six and nine kids. Like very, pretty young children. And they watched that movie. And to me, that was kind of messed up. Anyways, that's what I got for that. You dig? Um, kids <laughs> kids shouldn't watch that movie. Um, but, oh well, whatever. Um, okay, so another thing that I learned from this experience of having a friend down from the cities. Um, the parking situation on campus. So I have a bit of a story about this. Um, he came down, and I told him to... to Oh, right. So he needed directions. And 
I live in Eagle, so I didn't want to give him directions to, like, the student union. You know, he was just generally going to campus. And so I thought, well, it's cold outside. I don't want to try to explain to him which building is the union. It didn't occur to me at the time to tell him to plug the union in and then say that there's visitor parking right in front of it. Parking just did not occur to me at all. So for those of you listening to this, take this as a tale of warning. If you ever have friends up, like explain to them the parking because I didn't. Um, I didn't know largely though. And I learned throughout this first night. So basically we have visitor parking in certain lots. I don't even know what all the lots are, but the two that we used were the one in front of the union, that one like right there, you know, right between the, like the alumni center and the student union. Um, there's parking there, which I still don't know if I have this a hundred percent correct because of some events in the story, which I'll get to. But from what I understand, it's free visitor parking during the day, and then, oh wait, but you might need a visitor pass. See, okay, I don't know where this comes in, because it the sign, wait, no, not the sign. I'm trying to remember what happened. Okay, I'll just go on with the story. This will explain things better. I told him to put Eagle Hall into his GPS, because that's my res hall. So he pulled up, somehow managed to clutch a spot in the front row, right you know, right in front of the building, parks in it, I come down, you know, show him in, and we start, you know, having a good time, I just show him around campus, his brother came, because he's a senior in high school, thinking about coming here, gave him a little tour, you know, had, had some fun, and just, in general, it was a, it was a good evening, until later that night, um, when we went to, I believe we went to go hike the bluffs, I was going to show him the bluffs, of course, it's a classic, right, um, both of them had parked in the front row, right in front of Eagle. Both of them had tickets, 35 bucks. Oh, sorry. Um, so we decided, hey, let's figure out this parking situation so we don't have to worry about it. So we move both cars over to the visitor parking, at which point we see that the sign says, um, like, visitor parking. I can't, I don't think we registered that you need a visitor pass at this point we just parked one car there and then we all got in one car and went up to the bluffs upon coming back from the bluffs uh we looked at the sign i think we realized that you need a visitor permit so we're like shoot you know we got to get this visitor permit so i didn't know where to get one of those i haven't had to park here um except for like the little orientation things and like the start program um for incoming freshmen but during those programs, I realized they always had like a, like a visitor pass ready for you in like the little, you know, booklet or folder or whatever they gave you in advance. So it was all kind of like taken care of in advance. You didn't have to worry about it. Um, but now you do have to worry about it. So we ended up going into the union asking where to get a visitor pass. They said, go talk to somebody at the police station right across the street, which is like kind of right against that parking lot. So we walk over there, and we talk to a little lady across the window, um, and she says that it is free parking during the day, and then you have to pay to stay there at night, and it's $5 if you pay after 7 for, like, the whole night. And it is a no-parking zone, um, 
unless you have a permit between 2 a.m. and 8 a.m., I believe, or it might have been 6 a.m. So during that window, she said, is when they come and check. So as long as you buy the um, like the pass required to stay there, which is just $5 for the night if you buy after 7, or a dollar per hour if you do before that, um, the, if you, as long as you get a pass on there before 2 o'clock in the morning, you'll be fine for that 4-hour window that they check and ticket you. So we're like, okay, we got it figured out. She gave us a map and said that there were also some other lots around campus that kind of were the same deal. We realized that the lot right in front of Eagle is one of those lots, but just not the first, like, four rows. So if they would have just parked farther back in the lot, they would have been fine. So that kind of sucked. Um, luckily, you know, they were nice about it. Uh, I felt bad for, <laughs> for getting them ticketed, but oh well, it happens. Um, so we, we then, he, his brother left, let's see, Saturday morning, they came down Friday, this last weekend, and then his, uh, my buddy stayed until Monday this week, Monday morning he left. So, during that time, we had to pay for two, uh, let's see, Saturday and Sunday, yeah, two more, like, nightly passes. And during that time, he was also ticketed again at some point, even though he always had two, like, vis- like paid little pass, you know. I don't want to say ticket again, but, you know, the little tickets you get for paying for the parking. He always had two of those because he had, um, he had bought one on Friday and left it in there and, you know, it carried over. At one point, he also put in the wrong license plate number for the car that his brother took home um, and then had to get another one. Again, I digress. Uh, guys, learn how parking works before friends come up or before you need to know, because uh, it's a real pain if you don't. Anyways, that's the moral of the story. Glad I got to share that. Um, so now here's some. Here's another question that you guys can call for. Um, when is the appropriate time to start preparing for Christmas? Now I'm I'm talking like full Christmas swing full Christmas vibe, when is it okay to hear Christmas music playing on the radio when you're driving anywhere or listening to the radio anywhere? When is it acceptable emotionally for there to be Christmas decorations everywhere, for there to be like Christmas-related advertisements everywhere, all over TV, all over online, you know, the web is just covered in Christmas stuff because... I'm noticing that it happens before Halloween. Like this year, I was seeing Christmas stuff before Halloween. After Halloween, I feel like it's basically in full swing. Except for like maybe the Christmas decorations, like on houses and stuff. It's basically full swing Christmas prep the day after Halloween. Which to me is like... I mean like, I don't want to say like wrong or bad, but like... You really gotta do that? You know? Eh? Christmas... A day after Halloween, before Halloween, you get two more months. Two more months of just waiting for it now. You got a whole holiday in between there. You got Thanksgiving. And, you know, there's probably other holidays in between there, depending on who you are and what you celebrate. Um, 
stuff goes down in the two months between Halloween and Christmas, guys. So I don't know. You tell me. Do you think it's okay for Christmas stuff to be going in like full swing the day after Halloween or by God before Halloween? For me, I'd say the ideal would be like after Thanksgiving at the very earliest, you know, because then there's nothing really in between thanks in between where you're at after thanksgiving and until christmas there's not that much there by the time it gets to december it's probably pretty snowy you know most of the time it's pretty wintry you might as well start preparing for winter's kind of big holiday for a lot of people um yeah and i mean i guess i say christmas but i mean the holidays um yeah i just mean i don't i don't see like a lot of you know, Hanukkah commercials or anything. They just say, I guess, no, the commercials are pretty good. They say the holiday season most of the time. Okay, I'll rephrase my question, guys. When is it appropriate to start full swing, like full sending the holiday season vibe in general? Um, So tell me about that and tell me about how if you like do like big coats or layers and then also hot cocoa or cider or drinks just call and talk about like wintry stuff. I'm sure we'll. Well, yeah, never mind. I was gonna say I'm sure I'll have to talk about this again as we get closer because it is really only the week after Halloween, and I'm having this debate. Um, but I think it's necessary in today's society to question um, ridiculous traditions such as celebrating Christmas before Halloween. Uh, yeah, so please call me and talk to me about these things and whatever else. At 608-785-8080. Cool. All right, now I have a couple other things to talk about while I'm waiting. Again, you guys can call anytime. Um, I'll just kind of stop where I am. So I I don't remember how I came across this, but earlier today when I was researching some stuff um, for those winter stats, you know how dangerous the roads are, I, I came across some kind of pop-up or article or link, something, to, um, oh, no, I remember what it was. It was, like, <laughs> it was fall damage, like, real-life fall damage. Like, what are the statistics for death falling from certain heights? And basically, 50% of children die, and I wondered why it was measured in children at first as well. Um, but there's good reason. We measure fall death probabilities in children, because children are the most, like, not only agile, but, like, <laughs> this is going to sound horrible. Kids can take hits, if you know what I mean. Kids can take a lot more uh, punishment physically than people of other age groups. Their bones are just, like, flexible. You know, their skulls aren't completely, um, like, sealed a lot of the times. I mean, I guess it depends what age of kid we're talking about. But in general, their bodies are a lot more capable of bouncing back from beating. Um, This sounds bad, (laughs) no matter what way I put it. Um, Kids can take hits, and they bounce back quick. Let me just say that. Um, Anyway, so that's why we measure fall damage, IRL, with children. Um, They they survive 50% of the time at a height of 48 feet. And then your survival chance goes up dramatically 
every foot that you take off of that. So at by the time you get to 27, 28 feet, you have a pretty good chance of surviving. In fact, you have a better chance of surviving than you do owning a car in the upper Midwest during the wintertime. Um, anyways. While looking at fall damage stuff, I saw a fact that somebody at some point in time, had fallen from 18,000 feet out of, an, out, of, out of a plane without a parachute, and they lived. And I was like, no way. Like, I've never heard of this before. And I, I, I can't believe I hadn't heard of it before. But yeah, it's happened like a decent number of times. I did some digging, and like I found four examples right off the bat. And they're all pretty well documented. Two of them took place during World War II, when like planes caught fire and the crew had to jump in one such case the chute that the only survivor had had been burned um and it didn't work whatsoever so he jumped i think he was like kind of pretty much incinerated before he jumped because he jumped without a chute he did not have one on um and he had pretty much just accepted his death in questioning afterwards, he said that he jumped without a chute because he would have preferred to die by impact than by burning alive in the plane with the rest of the crew. Um, the plane ended up going down. The rest of the crew died. He bailed at 18,000 feet over some part of Ukraine, it looks like, what is now Ukraine. And he landed in, well, let me see this one. Oh, yeah, okay. He landed in just like kind of an out in the middle of nowhere place um, with a lot of pine trees and pretty deep snow. So he landed in, He first he went through a bunch of pine trees and then he landed in like probably five, six foot deep snow and he lived. He came out of it with only a sprained leg. That's it. He didn't even break a rib. Fell 18,000 feet. Ridiculous. Um, also, another person during World War II fell from 22,000 feet and another from 23,000 feet. The guy falling from 23,000 feet did not even have snow or trees to land on. He landed on the glass ceiling of a train station, shattered right through it, hit the next level, shattered right through it. That happened for, I think, two to, wait. This is on here only two levels. Two big sheets of glass, and then what I'm assuming is concrete, and he lived. He was pretty messed up physically. He had some pretty serious, like, injuries, but he did survive. And he was flying again in four months, it says. That is ridiculous. 23,000 feet of free fall, and you land on glass, and you're back up in that plane in four months? I mean, holy crap. Should have been back up in that plane in about a second after hitting the ground, if you know what I mean. Um, let's see. Another fall. Oh, and then this one. Okay, and then this one's cool. A guy fell from 12,400 feet like a couple years ago um, in New Zealand doing like a skydiving run. This dude was a very experienced skydiver. He had 7,000 jumps to his name until this play. I mean, not exactly 7,000, but over 7,000 at the time that he did this jump. 
he was very, I mean, think about, I don't even know how you get 7,000 <laughs> of anything. He's jumped out of a plane 7,000 times. Like that's, that's every day of the year for like, what, I'm trying to do some quick math, for like 21 years? Like, wow. That's crazy. Um, But I guess more likely he did like five jumps in a day a couple times a week for 10 years that he was doing it. Whatever. Again, I digress. Um, This guy jumped. He had a camera on, so this footage is online. Um, And he jumped with a friend who was about 100 feet above him at any given moment who also had a camera, so you can see it all happen. He pulls his chute, shoots tangled. Apparently this happens. Um, not frequently, but the first shoot will... It's not uncommon uh, for the first shoot to malfunction in some way. Um, he said that he assumed it was hooked on his hoodie because he was wearing a hoodie that day, and he usually didn't. So he was reaching back, you know, fiddling around with his hood, and it wasn't that. You know, he got his hood free, and it, the tangling was not fixed. Um, sometimes the wires get tangled, so he was trying to untangle those, but he said that he was falling and spinning so fast, he was already almost passing out, um, and, you know, he he messed around with the wires a little, you know, with the small amount that he could reach up there and work with them, and, I don't, I mean, he was pretty experienced, like I said, so this guy deemed that it wasn't the wires either, so it was something with the equipment going wrong. They were tangled somehow on the, um like the piece of equipment that releases the chute, which is like a one in a million chance. He said it's very rare for that to happen because that's like the only thing that they can't have happen because that's the only thing that the experienced skydiver, you know, jumper can't fix because they can't reach back there. Um, So it's like the equipment's only job to not have that happen. And it happened. Luckily, they have a cut loose cord so that they can cut that chute loose and then they can use their backup chute. Um, and he says that he has had to do that a multitude of times. Like He said countless. So of his 7,000, probably at least 100 or so, you know, you'd think um, he had to cut his chute and use the secondary. It just happens. And I'm sure he was trained to do that by doing that just to do it, regardless of if the first chute worked or not. I mean... I guess it'd be hard to cut loose if it was working. Again, I digress. He cuts the chute loose, doesn't work. So now he, there's a tangled mess above him that's not really preventing his fall very much, um, and he can't even cut it loose to use the new one. So what he then decides is, okay, I'm going to wait until I fall a little bit longer because at that point, if I if I use my new one, um, and... Wait a second. How does this work? I'm just trying to remember this story. I didn't copy-paste the whole thing. Um, basically, if you if you don't cut your primary chute and then you use your backup chute, it will just immediately be tangled in the wires of the first chute. You know, there's a very small chance that it's going to work. But chances are it will slow you down a little bit more than just having the, the failed primary chute. So he decides, I'm going to try to cut the first shoot loose by hand because they're given a little knife 
for that purpose. He tries to do that for a couple seconds while he's falling, and it doesn't work. Like you said, he's spinning too fast. He, he's almost passing out already. He can't get an angle on it. He can't cut it loose himself. So he then decides to wait until he's closer to the ground to release the next chute because one of two things will happen when he does. The first is that it will open slightly and slow his fall that much more. The other is that by using that second one, the cords will become more tangled and both shoots will have a net, you know, drag that's less than just the messed up primary shoot. So by using the other one, he could tangle it even more and he'll start falling even faster. So he waits until he's closer to the ground so that if that's the case, he will have less time to speed up. I mean, like it matters, you're falling from 12,000 feet. Anyways, he does this. It does not work. He does start falling faster, but because he waited, he doesn't pick up that much speed. He's only falling at 150 miles an hour instead of 180. Um, and then he... Actually, it was a little less than that because I think terminal velocity is around 180. So it, I think he was down to around 100. Um, and then he he did that, accelerated a little bit, and then he he hit the ground. He said that, uh, I, I mean, if you if you watch the video and um, his testimony, he had given up, effectively. He had pulled that second shoot at 550 feet, which is about 5.5 seconds before he hits the ground. So if he... Uh, just thinking about this is crazy. Anyways, during that 5.5 seconds... He looked at the camera, kind of waved goodbye, and then he said that during the whole experience, he never thought about his you know, childhood or his girlfriend or his living situation or any regrets that he had. The only thing that he could think was either trying to fix the problem or just like, holy crap, this is it, you know, like I'm dead. Um, he said that he felt really more anger than anything. Because he'd done this so many times, he did everything right, and he was just getting screwed. Like, it just wasn't going to work for some reason. So, he hits the ground. Um, the guy above him saw him hit the ground. From his perspective, he hit hard, and from 100 feet up, flying through the air, he could hear the thud. And he saw the other guy, like, bounce up a bit, too. So, like, he hit hard enough to bounce. Um as soon as he hit the ground, he went running over to him. And because he'd seen where he landed, he was able to find him. Uh, they said that if it wasn't for him seeing exactly where he had landed, they never would have found him because they were in the area that he fell in was like so thick with underbrush. Um, it just wouldn't have happened. But so uh, what ended up happening, he ran over there um, to, you know, see him, expecting him to be totally dead. Uh, but he he knew that if he wasn't dead, every second would count. So he rushes over there. He sees this guy in a pile of basically thorns. It was like thorny brambles that he'd fallen into, but it was a, a really dense pile of, of these like thickets of underbrush. Um, that was about six feet tall and it padded him so that he did not die. Um, he came out of it with a shattered ankle, which, you know, sucks. Um, and a punctured lung, one lung, not both of them, just one lung. Um, so immediately after the fall, they could hear in their communication system, like their mics, 
him just like kind of gurgling. But they knew that that was a good sign, if anything, because it, at least then he was still controlling his breathing and controlling, you know, aspects of it, meaning he's still alive. Uh, because of the punctured lung, he couldn't really speak. It was just, it was just, um, but that's how it goes when you fall 12,000 feet. Um, he, I think, ended up spaying, spending like a week in a hospital recovering from, oh wait, no, I think it was 11 days total because it only took him three days to recover from the punctured lung. Uh, but then they did multiple operations to fix his like shattered ankle because it was shattered. I mean, it was messed up. So they did a couple operations to fix his ankle. Um, and it took him 11 days total to recover from those procedures and everything. So 11 days later, this dude's out and like mostly fine, falling 12,000 feet, which is completely crazy, if you ask me. The other thing is that had he fallen in the water, he would have been knocked unconscious almost instantly, um, and then he most likely would have drowned. Um, he was only 100 feet away from a paved parking lot that would have meant instant death you know hitting that at that speed so he I mean like when you're falling from that high up a hundred feet is not a lot he barely made it into that like thick woods area and the fact that he landed on that perfect little six foot pile of brush like that was lucky extremely lucky but he he, you know he did it and he did not die so wow there is a couple crazy stories for you guys. Um, those stories are crazy. And I have another one just because nobody's calling and I don't know. Um, I don't have anything else planned, but I, I do know another thing that I can bring up. Um, another war story, which is crazy. I was just reading about this today. Um, okay, so... This dude named Aimo Koivunen um, was a, I believe, a Finnish soldier during World War II. Um, And what happened is he was separated from the rest of his unit um, behind enemy lines. Oh, wait a minute. We have a call. We'll We'll pause this story real quick. All right. Hello. This is Yadig, the awesome radio show uh who do i got on the line here hello this is jacob from minnesota what's up jacob from minnesota how are you doing i'm doing good i was really interested in your surviving um uh plane or just like surviving a twenty thousand feet drop that seemed really interesting to yeah. me and also the fact that uh you talked about how kids are a bit more durable yep they sure are. Um, yeah, I mean, and I, I know the reason for that is because um, when kids are younger, their bones actually are able to bend a little bit. Yeah, yeah, their bones are a little bit more flexible. And then I'm not sure what age it is, but I know that the skull is not fully developed in children up to a certain age, so that instead of, the thing is, I think this is largely just for like babies, like pretty young kids. Um, but they actually yeah. don't have like hard skull on the top of their head. It's just like soft. Um, but that makes them really like durable to head damage. Um, because they, they just kind of bounce around and 
um, like concussions don't really happen because there's some soft tissue there for the brain to, you know, hit against. And I think the skull isn't fully developed until later in childhood, but they don't necessarily have that soft spot on the top of their head. I think that's only for like toddlers basically. Um, but yeah, Yeah, well, I know, um, I know that, um, the brain develops like finishes developing around the age of 24. I'm not sure about the skull though. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. uh, I'm pretty sure the skull is developed well before that, but I'm not, not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, but I guess the best way to survive a plane crash would be a child that somehow lands in, like, some sort of debris, like you were talking about with, the like, shrubs that the one guy fell into or yeah. glass works as well. Yeah, yeah, or, or, like, a big pile of snow, like the one guy. I, th- I feel mm-hmm. like that would be the best for sure, just a bunch of snow. Um, yeah, but yeah, I snow over I feel like Yeah, I feel like a pretty young child falling a couple tens of thousands of feet into snow um is probably not a terrible thing i mean they'd probably be fine (laughs) yeah i mean you know it's life experience i gotta learn how to survive a plane crash someday right right exactly um there comes a time in every child's life i also um i also learned that um another good way to survive a plane crash is to become a wreckage rider. And that's a real term, I guess it's like to be able to hold on to any piece of like a plane you're falling out of. So like a chair you're strapped into, or just like a piece of a wing. Oh, if wow. you can grab that, if you can grab that, that actually apparently helps a lot with being able to um, brace for your fall or just being able to ride that down. So you're not, taking the brunt of the force of just hitting the ground. Yeah, I I bet for sure. Um, that makes sense. And I'm sure if you find like something big enough, and kind of depending on the angle that you have it, it probably slows your fall down a decent amount too. Oh, yeah. So like if you were just hanging on to like the side of the wing, like the wind resistance that would be hitting that would definitely slow you down, I would assume. Yeah, for sure. Um do you have any thoughts on the winter stuff? What's your favorite winter oh, beverage? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I basically agree with you. It. I did see a lot of stuff, like, right before Halloween, and now, um, now like, what really gets me, uh, what really grinds my gears is when the, like, Christmas songs start playing on the radio. That starts way too early, in my opinion. Yeah. I have one radio station that I like to listen to that'll switch to just Christmas music and that it's already started. That just shows you how far down we've come to start Christmas like songs this early. Yeah. Only a few days after Halloween. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, a big drastic leap backwards in evolution to start playing Christmas music this early. I think we just really need to reset society. Yeah, I think we just need an apocalypse to fix this issue. Um, all right, well, Basically. thanks so much for calling, Jacob from Minnesota. Um, hope to hear from you again. Uh, you have a good night. Thank you very much. I'm a very big fan of the show. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cool. So there's one. See, guys, people do it. You can do it, too. Um, anyways, where was I? Okay, one last story here to give people if they want more time to call. Um, but okay. So this, this guy, let's see. What was his name? I'm, I'mo, 
I don't know how to pronounce this, but I think it's Imo. It's A-I-M-O. Um, Koivunen was a Finnish soldier behind enemy lines during World War II. Um, he is separated from the rest of his unit, and he is a medic. So all he's carrying are his firearms, you know, and weapons, and then a bag of, like, medical supplies in which there are a bunch of emergency amphetamines. Um, so basically, like, meth or cocaine, like, powerful amphetamines. Um, so what ends up happening is he's separated from his unit. There are enemies wandering the forests in which he is in, um, and he... <laughs> He takes, um, I'm trying to find the exact dose, but he ends up taking, uh, like, a ridiculous amount of these amphetamines. Um, like, I think if you took the average dose of the chemical that he took specifically, um, looking at, like, what sort of dose is required to, um, you know, give somebody's body a, like, a jump start in order to, um, either get their heart going or, uh, and I guess it wouldn't be their heart going. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I'm not 100% sure what they use amphetamines for or what they did back in the day as far as war goes. Anyways, the average dose of this thing um, is X amount. He took, I think, close to 10 times that amount, 8 times. He took a ridiculous amount of these amphetamines. And then what happened was he... <laughs> for like two and a half weeks, he went on this rampage behind enemy lines. Um, they estimate that he killed close to 90 different like soldiers, enemy soldiers, um, was at one point injured by a landmine, severely injuring some of his legs and causing some bleeding. He was able to use some of the other med supplies that he had to patch himself up in order to keep going. He traveled a total of 400 kilometers which is what, like 150 miles or so, on skis. He was on skis this entire time, guys. He was on skis. He travels over this two-and-a-half-week period, 150 miles or so, 400 kilometers. Eats, er, uh, he, he kills like 90 other enemy soldiers. Um, he survived only, because he didn't have any rations on him, he survived only on pine buds and two Siberian jays that he caught with his bare hands, that he also ate with his bare hands. He ate them raw. This man is a legend. When he was finally, when he finally made it back to finish lines, he was taken to a hospital. It was found that his heart rate was nearly 200 beats per minute and his weight had dropped to 94.7 pounds, which I think was a loss of around 50 pounds. During that time, uh, he did not really sleep at all. He was just so amped. I mean, that that's insane. That's the power of human beings um, and also a lot of amphetamines right there. A two-and-a-half-week rampage behind enemy lines, surviving only on pine nuts and a bird that he caught with his bare hands on skis, kills a bunch of enemy soldiers, travels 150 miles, Makes it back, survives, lives to tell the tale. Absolutely legendary. Um, all right, well, I started a little bit late. So I'm just going to 
I'm going to drag this out a little bit so that I have, you know, around an hour total. Um, the stream that is up here says that it has been going for an hour, but I believe that is including the little intermission ad thing that happens. So I'm going to give you guys a couple more minutes to call here. I'm going to read the number one more time in desperate hope that somebody will. Uh, 608-785-8080. That is 608-785-8080. Come on, guys. Um, anyways, yeah, that's all I have as far as content goes. Hopefully you guys enjoyed hearing about some people falling thousands and thousands of feet out of airplanes without parachutes and living. Another guy taking way too many amphetamines, going on a rampage, also living. Oh yeah, he was injured by a landmine too. I forgot about that. It's ridiculous. Um, and Christmas stuff. Also about the movie The Joker a little bit and parking here on campus. Um, assuming that nobody's going to call in the next couple seconds, I would like you guys to have a great week and... Maybe go see Joker. Maybe have some friends up to campus and explain to them how the parking works. Whatever you feel like doing. You dig? All right, well, I think that about wraps it up. I'm going to count down from five now just to make sure we don't have any last-second callers. Five, four, three, two.